ongoing study in the evenings here at Redeemer through the life and ministry of Elijah. And we come to a very simple passage at the end of 2 Kings 19, which represents the call of Elisha, that next generation of prophet there in the northern kingdom of Israel. And so I trust even just the simple reading of this text will not only give us a sense of what's before us, but Help us understand just the simple points that the Lord means for us to learn tonight. So let me read those three verses for us and and then pray for God's blessing and we'll continue on. So listen once again as the Lord does speak to you through his perfect word. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? He returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray once again. Father, we thank you for the myriad of ways in your mysterious but majestic providence that you call us unto yourself, that not only that you call us unto life and everlasting rest in your Son, Jesus Christ, but you also commission us in various ways as servants in your kingdom, that we might be faithful in the gifts you have poured out upon us by your Holy Spirit. So even help us this night as we consider the ways in which you call your servants to reflect on our own calling before you that we might be found faithful with what you have entrusted to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite stories of a man being called into ministry and sometimes the trials and travails that belong to serving the Lord comes from the life of, of John Newton. And kids, you, you might know John Newton's name. If you don't, you surely know something he wrote because he wrote what probably still is the most famous hymn in the English language, which is Amazing Grace. You may not know that he went through a rather spectacular conversion to Jesus Christ where he was a slave trader that was converted to the Lord. And as what so often belonged to his time and space, Newton's calling to Christ was almost immediate at least what he sensed was, his calling to the gospel ministry. What I mean is, he sensed himself convicted of his sin and therefore converted to Christ in the kindness of the Lord. And almost immediately, he had this overwhelming, insatiable desire that he wanted to serve Christ in an official, gospel-bearing sense. But what he faced was years and years and years of rejection, rejection, and rejection to serve in the ministry. And you perhaps can even think in your own life where you feel as though the Spirit has put something in your heart, a way in which you want to serve the Lord, the way in which you want to earnestly advance His kingdom and extend the gospel in your life. And it seems as though the Lord is only greeting you with closed door after closed door after closed door. Because in Newton's time in England, there were two ordinary places in which you could serve as a pastor. One is the Church of England, and the other would have been what we would call an independent congregation. And the issue with serving in the Church of England 
was they didn't want John Newton because of his notorious past and his identity as a former slave trader. Well, he could go into independent churches, but he didn't want the independent churches because his convictions lay with the Church of England. So he was in something of a pastoral pickle, wasn't he? Uh, the, the attractive wasn't possible. And the possible wasn't attractive. So for seven years, Newton sensed himself called to serve the Lord in ministry. Six rejections came along the way until a sympathetic bishop finally put him in a particular charge. And as these things so often go, many years later, Newton was writing to a young man in the gospel ministry and he reflected back on this time of of trial and testing, waiting on the Lord to put him in a place of service. He said, quote, Newton did, I can now see clearly that at the time I would have first gone out, though my intention was, I hope, good in the main I overrated myself for so great a service. And the reason I call that out is because what we come to tonight is a passage in the Old Testament that represents the Lord calling someone into ministry. And whereas John Newton was made to wait and wait and wait some more, here we have one of those fantastic stories when the Lord calls a man into ministry altogether without any expectation of this man desiring anything in ministry. As long as Newton was made to wait, so fast was Elijah called into ministry. And it shows us that there's a myriad of ways, isn't there, that the Lord calls people, not only to himself, that he calls people into his service. And I trust that you know that the Bible is full of all of these wonderful stories of God calling people to follow him bestowing gifts upon them that they might serve and extend his kingdom. You think about Moses at the burning bush. You can think, of course, even on Elijah's call that we've evaluated already in chapter 17. You think also, of course, of Isaiah's majestic call to serve the Lord as he was brought up to the heavens to see the holiness of God. You can think about the man named Saul. He was on the road to Damascus when the blinding light of Jesus Christ stopped him in his tracks and it was a road trip that changed the world as God called Saul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. The Lord loves to call people to himself. The, loves, the Lord loves to send people out into his kingdom. But we're going to see along the way is he does it in all kinds of different ways. But in the all kinds of different ways, there are often three essential elements to that call in serving the Lord. And I want to show you these three things from the call of Elisha in our text. Because it's a text that's going to, I trust, lead many of us to consider the Lord's calling in our own life. Some of you may be considering a call to serve the Lord in pastoral ministry, missionary service as an elder or a deacon. Some of you may be thinking about the way in which the Lord's calling you, perhaps even adjusting his calling on your life in a certain vocation. And at its very least, it's a wonderful text that helps us understand, yet again, the ways in which God just calls people to himself in all of its fullness, in all of its glory. So the first thing I want you to see about God's call on Elisha is that it's a sovereign call. You see, verse 19 begins in this way. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Now you want to think where Elijah has been. So students, if you remember back to last week, where was Elijah? He was there at Mount Sinai. Now, Why was Elijah at Mount Sinai? Why was Elijah at Mount Horeb? 
Well, if you think back to chapter 18, Elijah, who is this courageous prophet that we've seen the Lord protect, we've seen the Lord provide for in all of these supernatural and sovereign ways. This man there at Mount Carmel displayed such courage in the Lord that he was uh, really the the prophet of fire. He was the prophet of, of faith as he called down fire from heaven. He defeated the prophets of Baal. He executed all of them. And what we saw with the opening scenes there in chapter 19, that this prophet of faith, this prophet of fire, well, he flees from Jezreel. And kids, you remember why Elijah was on the run, why he was running away all the way south from Jezreel to the bottom there of the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, He was running away because the vicious and violent Queen Jezebel was out to kill him. He had killed all the prophets of Baal, and she who loved the pagan god of Baal says, she even swears an oath, may it be done none to me, and even worse, if I don't kill you by tomorrow. Elijah saw this, he ran south, And if you glance back to chapter 19, verse 4, what did he say of the Lord in a prayer? But it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. The Lord's angel sustains him for two days, sends him off further on his journey, and there he comes to Mount Sinai, and there the Lord's revelation comes to him. If you remember the story, it wasn't the Lord and the earthquake. It wasn't the Lord and the wind that shook the mountains and split the boulders. It wasn't the Lord and the fire But it was in the Lord's small, quiet whisper that he spoke to Elijah. And part of what he spoke to Elijah, if you notice what we're told in chapter 19, verse 16 at the end, you shall anoint Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, and you shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. So the first thing about the Lord's call of Elisha, it's a sovereign call. The Lord had decided that Elisha was to be a prophet long before Elisha decides to follow after Elijah, as we're going to see in the subsequent part of the passage. And isn't it always the way in which the Lord's call works out upon his people's life? It wasn't as though anything in the text would show us that Elisha was desiring to serve the Lord in this way, that he had prayed to serve the Lord in this way, that he expressed an interest to serve the Lord in this way. Actually, he seems quite content in this passage to keep going about his agricultural business. But what had the Lord said? Elisha will serve me. He will be a prophet after you, Elijah. It's a sovereign call of God. And I trust that you can look back if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and think in your own conversion story and how it's so true, isn't it? That when you came to Jesus Christ, now perhaps with the years of looking back of God's providence in your life, you realize the degree to which it was only his sovereign initiative that brought you to the Savior. But think not only about your calling and salvation, isn't it true that Surely, every place in life where God calls us to serve, use the gifts that he has bestowed upon us. Uh, We can look back, can't we? Perhaps not even with that many years of providence in retrospect, considering that it's only his sovereign call that ever got us to where we are today. We can leave this place tonight and reflect upon the calling he's placed upon us in our vocation and think it's only the Lord guiding everything to get us to this place. The Lord had decreed from eternity past that Elisha was going to be the one that followed Elijah. Thus the text says, so Elijah departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. So it's a sovereign call. But I want you to see secondly that it's also a sudden call. Because look what he's doing. He was plowing 
with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. Elisha was. He was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. So students, you want to picture the scene there. Elisha's out in the field. He's plowing behind these 12 teams of oxen. And surely at some point he notices off in the distance this enigmatic figure, this mysterious man walking towards him. If we know anything well about Elijah's life, his appearance was probably quite haggard, quite weathered. This man just keeps walking towards Elisha. He gets closer. He gets closer. He passes the first team of oxen, eventually passing the fifth team of oxen. Then he comes past the tenth team of oxen. And then he gets to the twelfth team of oxen. And still, he hasn't said a single thing. And he walks by Elisha. And what does he throw on his back but what the text calls his cloak upon him? It's probably better to understand this as something like the prophetic mantle that often belong in the Old Testament prophets and their ministry, that they would wear this kind of hairy shroud of sorts. It's fair to think about it as a small little cloak over their shoulders, and it was the official uniform of a prophet. And he doesn't say a single thing to Elisha, just walks by him. You notice even the language at the end of verse 19, he passes by him, just as Yahweh passed by Moses there in the cleft of the rock. Just as Yahweh was passing by with his voice there as Elijah was at Mount Horeb, that Elijah passes by, throws his cloak on his shoulders, and doesn't say a single word. It's a sudden call, right? Elisha didn't wake up that morning expecting the Lord was going to show up and call him into the prophetic ministry. How many times have you woken up? Not expecting anything significant from the Lord that day, but suddenly and unexpectedly he calls you to something. In service of him. Suddenly, unexpectedly, he even calls you to himself. But I want you to see that Elisha here has clear awareness of the situation at hand. Because you see what he does in verse 20? He left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Now why did he do that? Because he knows what this cloak, he knows what this mantle means. He's aware of God's word to such a degree that he knows that this is, of course, Something significant placed upon his shoulders. The prophetic ministry of the Lord. He has an awareness in the suddenness of this call. But he also has an openness to it. You see verse 20 continues. He simply says, let me kiss my father and my mother. And then I will follow you. It's a sovereign call. It's a sudden call. He has awareness of the way in which the Lord deals with his people. He's open, isn't he? He has this openness of hand to what the Lord is calling him to. He doesn't hesitate for a second to follow after the Lord's desire in his life, which leads to the third part of his call that we need to see tonight, however briefly, which is it's a sacrificial call. Not just a sovereign and sudden call, but it's a sacrificial call. Because Elijah says, you'll notice at the end of verse 20, he asks this question that, at least in my ESV translation, perhaps yours is like mine, it sounds somewhat mysterious. Go back again, for what have I done to you? It's a passage that, it's kind of difficult to translate in a variety of different ways. I think it's best for us to understand Elijah saying something like, okay, go ahead, kiss your mother and father, but mind you that you don't forget what I have just done to you. It's a sacrificial call. 
You know, one of my favorite stories about the nature of someone following after the Lord and, the, and weighing the sacrifice that belongs to the Lord's direction on his ministry and life is this Scottish missionary of old named John Payton. Uh, some of you know his story. There was a time in the Scottish Reformed Presbyterian Church to which he belonged that they were looking for missionaries that would take the gospel of Jesus Christ to islands in the Pacific Specifically, in this instance, the New Hebrides chain of islands. And in his zeal and his desire to serve the Lord, uh, Peyton stood up at a ministry meeting and said, I'm the one that will take the gospel to the New Hebrides. And an old man, however wise he was, godly he was, yet fearful he was, said, yes, but Mr. Peyton, you will be eaten by the cannibals. And Peyton had this wonderful way of responding to Mr. Dixon. He says, you are old and advanced in years. Your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. So kids, he's saying, Mr. Dixon, you're soon going to be buried. And there you will be eaten by worms. And I confess to you that if I live and die serving the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm killed by cannibals or eaten by worms. He was willing, wasn't he, to make a complete sacrifice in service to the Lord. And you see, of course, Elisha's desire to follow the Lord fully when he says, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow after you. It's not as though he's saying, well, let me go back to mom and dad. Let's have a conversation. Mom, dad, do you think that this call of the Lord upon my life to be a prophet, do you think it matches up with my dreams, giftings, and ambitions? No, I mean, it's just simply saying, kids, let me kiss mommy and daddy goodbye, and then I'll be right back, Elijah. Now, that's what he's saying. And so, of course, what follows in verse 21, he returned from following him. He took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So what's he doing? He's sacrificing, isn't he here? All that belonged to his previous vocation, genuinely, literally sacrificing it, that he might follow after the Lord in faithfulness and holiness. When the Lord calls a person, the question isn't, will you sacrifice in following him? Isn't it true that the real question is, what will you sacrifice in following him? It's so often the case, isn't it, that he wants you to sacrifice a lot more than you might even realize at the beginning. And maybe you think about this language of uh, Elisha there with the plow, and he's saying, let me go back and kiss mom and dad. And it sounds like this story in the Gospels of Jesus Christ, particularly Luke's Gospel, for example, chapter 9, where he's speaking about these various kinds of people that he meets, and he's calling them to follow after him, and they often come with excuses, don't they? And so he says in this part of chapter 9, uh, someone has come stating his desire to follow after Jesus, but he says, well, well, first let me say farewell to my parents at home. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That sounds a lot like 1 Kings 19, doesn't it? And the nature of Elisha's call. But in Luke 9, what Jesus is articulating there is a goodbye to the family that represents an obstacle in serving the Lord, where in many ways in 1 Kings 19, that goodbye to the family functions as entry into the Lord's service. So when God calls a person, you can trust that it's a sovereign call. You trust that it will come suddenly from our perspective. 
however long into eternity past the Lord has planned it out. And it will bring a sacrifice as well. It may not surprise you that I spend many hours every week with uh, pastors and aspiring pastors, sometimes down at the seminary, sometimes over meals and get-togethers throughout the area. And especially when I meet brothers for the first time in ministry, I love hearing stories about how the Lord called them into his service because there's so many ways in which the Lord can stir in your own heart gratitude and Thanksgiving for what he's done in you as you observe what he's done in others. And when you ask him many questions like these, like how did the Lord call you into service? How did you know that you wanted to be a pastor? What you see is sometimes you'll hear people talk about, well, I remember the day, I remember the time, I remember the weather, I remember the language, I remember what I was thinking in that moment when God called me into service. But I think more often than not, a lot of people will think, well, I wasn't really so sure at the time, and it was maybe vague and somewhat ambiguous in their own minds about how the Lord called them into service and then they just trusted and obeyed and followed the Lord and before you knew it, they happened to be serving the Lord faithfully in ministry. Well, I, was, I was with someone recently and having this kind of a conversation and he said something that stuck with me. He said, the Lord's purpose in calling me, it wasn't immediately clear. But then in time, it of course became clear what the Lord was doing. And maybe you can reflect on your own life and ministry and think about the ways in which the Lord has called you. And you can think, well, at the time, it wasn't immediately clear what the Lord wanted to do with me by sending us there or placing me there. But again, the passage of time, it shows, okay, that's exactly what the Lord was wanting to do for this reason or that reason. But when we come to Elisha's call, we can be clear that we don't need to wonder what the Lord wanted to do in calling Elisha. Because the previous paragraph there at Mount Sinai, Elijah had heard exactly why the Lord was calling Elisha in this way. So I want to remark on these two final things as we begin to close. Because it shows us something of God's faithfulness in calling his prophets, his servants. And I do think it does point us to that true prophet to come in Jesus Christ. So we want to notice, first of all, how Elisha's call shows us God's faithfulness to punish his enemies. Because glance back to what he says, Yahweh does to Elijah in verse 17 of chapter 19. He said, you're going to appoint Jehu, you're going to appoint Haziel, and you're going to appoint Elisha. Verse 17, and the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Elisha is called to the ministry of the Lord in order to ensure that the covenant breakers there in Israel will be punished. That those that these other men will not put to the sword, Elisha is there to what? Put to the sword. He's called into ministry to ensure the purity of God's people. Even the holiness of God's name. So as you look at his call, you can think about God is faithful to punish his enemies. Secondly, God is faithful to preserve his people. Because you see again at the end of verse 16, he says, You shall anoint Elisha to be prophet in your place. Elisha represents, doesn't he, the continuing passage and preservation of God's word among God's people. That even as the Proverbs will speak about, where there is no vision, 
there, there's no life, where there's no, there's no prophetic word according to God's people. There's only death that can fully come. And so Elisha's there, yes, to punish God's enemies. He's also there to ensure that the word of the Lord continues for another generation. The word of the Lord that brings life to his people. Pointing us, of course, forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, that true prophet who was to come. And you know that this prophet came. He was called to the Father to arrive. And is not his coming judgment upon those that do not come to him in faith and repentance? It's not, of course, his coming, the preservation of God's word among his people, even the occurrence and manifestation of God's word among his people, so that through this very prophet he would preserve his own. So when the Lord calls people, he will always do so with sovereign goodness and grace. When the Lord calls people, he will do so in a way to our experience. It will seem altogether sudden. And he calls us to sacrifice that we might serve the Lord faithfully, that we might serve the Lord fully. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you call us in Christ Jesus to bestow the Spirit into our hearts that we might be faithful in the gifts you have entrusted to us. Help us to know something more of the grace that you have called us to in Christ Jesus, something more of the gratitude that we should reflect and send unto you because of what you have done in us and through us. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.